if there was one thing I really appreciated and loved in my time of ministry formation, and, and like if anyone's listening, there were more than one thing, but it was, uh, you know, we had a really diverse cohort, you know, uh, culturally diverse cohort. We had people from Tonga and Fiji and uh, from, from Korea and from North and South America, from different places in Europe. As uh, We had second gen, first gen, third gen folks uh, who in, um, grew up in Australia. So we had this very diverse cohort, which meant, you know, we had really fruitful, engaging, insightful conversations about scripture, about ministry, about theology. You know, I, you know, my own experience and understanding was expanded so, so dramatically and helpfully. So many, you know, of the ways that when you're a white guy, you know, that, that constant, um, constant temptation to to view your experience as, as the normative and universal one, you know, was, was constantly subverted and undermined uh, for my betterment. And I, I'm a far better minister today because of that process than I would have been uh, in a different and more um, homogenous cohort. I'm very thankful for that. And honestly, this interview today felt like, you know, almost like a microcosm of being back in formation and learning from someone uh, who, who just brought such wisdom and insight of approaching the biblical text, uh, you know, through his own diasporic experience, through engaging um, the Indigenous stories of his culture and, and forms of storytelling and conversing, of bringing that to bear on looking into a whole different ancient culture that uh, produced the writings of the Old Testament. And uh, I was just, I had some wonderful time, uh, just such a wonderful time listening and learning in this interview, and I hope you do too. Um, so excited that I've, you know, I've, I've blown up the usual format of the introduction. My guest today is Brian Collier, who is a PhD candidate as part of the University of Divinity, exploring a post-colonial and diasporic reading of Ecclesiastes. He is uh, going to be teaching a course uh, at United Theological College in January. There's information in, in the show notes and we talk about it in the interview uh, uh, on the prophetic literature in the Old Testament. And you can do that as an intensive, either as part of an award or as a thing to audit. And trust me, when you hear this, you're going to want to go and have a, a conversation with Brian. Uh, he's got some excellent articles that we also mentioned, which you can seek out on his academia page. Uh, you know, bringing, you know, um, you know, Samoan readings uh, and, and different types of um, readings and, and, and hermeneutics to bear on, on Genesis 3 and the Song of Songs. And that's definitely worth your attention. Again, I'll put the, I'll put the links to his page in the show notes. Uh, but I'm really excited to have Brian joining us today. And, uh, and yeah, check out that course if you can. This is Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Darking Jung Land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister as mentioned, for in the uh, Uniting Church in Australia. Uh, I'm very pleased that you're joining us today and I hope you enjoy this interview with Brian Qualia. Bye. Well, Brian Qualia, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Great to be here. So, so we're chatting today. You're, you're joining us from, you're down in Melbourne at the moment, right? Yeah, um, down in Melbourne, um, just here doing my uh, my doctoral studies um, with uh, Whitley College um, as part of the University of Divinity. So, yeah, been here yeah. about three years now. Cool. How much longer? Do you know how much longer you got? You're going to be doing the? How much longer you got in the doctorate? 
Uh, God, about I'm, I'm sort of in my second to last chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got after after this one, hopefully this this draft that's coming up, uh, you know, should get the okay to proceed onto the last chapter, and then yeah, just uh, just that final chapter to lock every, tie everything in, and then mm. yeah. So that's probably sometime next year, um, I'm looking to to finish. So today we're going to we're going to talk a bit about a, a class you're actually going to be teaching at uh, UTC in Sydney soon on, on the prophetic literature. But why don't we just stay with the the doctor for a bit? But just maybe just give us a little insight on on what you're working on because so obviously it's it's in um, biblical studies. Uh, yep. So maybe just a bit of a, a perspective on on what you're doing and maybe even what what drew you to it. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've always had a fascination with uh, wisdom literature in the Hebrew Bible. Yep. Um, I just I just like the, the the sort of parallels between Hebrew um, wisdom and and also the wisdom traditions of my own uh, cultural background. Mm. Um, so I was sort of drawn to that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a, a big... Uh, student of 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 my own indigenous cultural wisdom uh so you know it, immediately i was drawn to hebrew wisdom uh so i'm writing my thesis then on um my dissertation on the book of ecclesiastes uh, but i'm also trying to um, draw those links um between my own culture um my own background um and reading the, the the text of Ecclesiastes. So I'm I'm sort of I'm conducting a uh, sort of diasporic reading of uh, Ecclesiastes from the viewpoint of a Australian-born Samoan. So you know I was born and raised um, here in Australia. Um, so I have a very strong tie to my Australian uh, background. But also my Samoan background, my culture. So I'm a I'm a bit of a I'm a hybrid identity, mm. Um, mm. trying to sort of exist between those two spaces. Um, so I'm interested in trying to get draw some of the implications of my own background um, in the text of Ecclesiastes. Um, so I'm trying to therefore locate Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, um, in the diaspora. So, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the viewpoints and scepticism of um, the author of Ecclesiastes seems to resonate with um, those of us diasporic Samoans who live in Australia, um, and you could include um, New Zealand and America in this in the conversation that we sort of have towards our own culture, because you know some of the cultural, ele- I mean, some of the elements of our culture um, they might work fine for 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 Samoa. But when we come out here to these mm. other these foreign countries, it might not work as as well. And then we become sceptical of it. Um, and I find that Kohelet sort of shares those same sentiments. Um, yeah, so that's sort of like a, a, a bit of a, an overview of what I'm mm. doing um, at the moment with my own dissertation. Uh, so, yeah, just sort of looking at a lot of the indicators in the text that suggest that maybe Kohelet was in the diaspora. 
Yeah, great. Thank you for that. And I think, um, so I was reading kind of in preparation for this, a couple of, of pieces that you've written, um, you know, one on kind of um, Eve and the serpent and bringing that from Genesis 3 and bringing that into conversation with Samoan love story uh, and another one which looking at the, the Song of Songs and how to read that again from a Samoan perspective and, 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 and in light of various cultural taboos uh, and, and the like and so I guess not going necessarily specifically into that yet, we might get to that later, but I guess, you know, thinking about the doctorate and, 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 and research and biblical studies is a very um, established discipline with its own kind of rules and, and mm. methodology and um, yep. you're kind of wrestling with that, which is a very kind of Western thing, then with a ancient Hebrew <laughs> Israel um, text and this other culture, I'm trying to read it from Diaspora, yeah. which is, again, between two cultures. Um, right. how, how are you keeping it all in your head? How are you, <laughs> how are you managing that? And, and what um, I guess is the, where are the frustrations and where are the, like, the points where you're like, ah, oh, it's actually so liberative? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, it all comes down to the approach. Um, so for a lot of us Pacifica uh scholars and, and, and people in, and Pacifica people in academia, uh, we sort of try to use um, this, this myth, uh, method of Talanoa. Um, and Talanoa is a sort of generic term that's used throughout the Pacific, uh, which is our way of conversation. Um, and Talanoa um, in conversation there is sort of no. There, there, there's a more flu, There's more of a fluidity to the process as opposed to sort of okay, you got to follow A, then B, then C. Uh, you know, there's no there's no such structure, but it's more of a fluid conversation, and then you sort of just weave your way through that conversation, and wherever it takes you, it's more of the the journey in that conversation that's important as opposed to trying to reach that final destination. So. As you would sort of see in that in that type of methodology, um, you, you know you're, you're you're reaching you're negotiating with uh, you know Western scholarship, you know you're you're negotiating with with um, with my you know my own culture, but then you also got the culture of the text, and then you sort of have this weaving process where okay, um, how do we negotiate through those um, through you know through those strands. Uh, so this whole process of Talanoa allows us to to sort of look at that in, in, a, in a sort of fluid format uh, where we're not sort of straining, uh, restraining ourselves to a particular, just to one sort of way of reading. Because for us, that sort of has a really colonial element to it, you know. Um, the, the, the voices, the echoes of the colonizers are sort of, you know, sort of... Um, come through in, in, in a lot of these Western methodologies of, well, you can't do this, you have to do this. You, you know, it, <laughs> when, when Pacifico people hear that, it's like, it just reminds us of our colonial past. Um, so we're trying to sort of renegotiate with our, you know, a lot of our co uh, cultural elements. Uh, and, and a lot of these really, I mean, for me personally, when, when you mentioned the uh, Genesis paper, um, I'm, I'm using this uh, reading format of Whāngongu, uh, which is an ancient um, way of storytelling for, for a lot of Pacifica people, particularly Samoans. 
Um, and I feel that a lot of the a lot of what's going on in Farmall resonates with the storytelling of Genesis. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, these are this is this is a crucial parallel that I that I can sort of find a link between. Um, and it sort of brings about the the storytelling element in these stories, as opposed to what as opposed to what say Western methodology will be sort of, um, you know, they'd sort of been obsessed over the historicity of the story. You know, um, did this really happen? Mm. Um, was there really a Garden of Eden? You know, was there really this? You know, to us Pacifica people through Talanoa, through Farmer, we'd be like, well. You know, it's not really about that. It's about the story. That's what's key, the message that comes from the story. And this is why we tell stories. And it's because, you know, we have that important, it's not so much telling the truth, but it's telling a truth. You know? um, so, yeah, it, it, mm. it's, uh, I think that's the libera liberating um, element that you're, you're, you're sort of referring to, is that at the end we go, ah, okay, um, that's what it's about. It's about the message. It's about the journey um, to, mm. to, to sort of um, get those messages out as opposed to, okay, um, did this really happen? You know, is this the history of it, you know, and a lot of Western scholarship sort of, um, sort of obsesses over that. And, mm. yeah, I, for me personally, it's 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 fine. Um, and, and, you know, being a biblical scholar, I have to sort of, uh, satisfy that element in scholarship, but you know I'm not really that obsessed over it. Mm. Yeah, my own my own approach. I think that's really helpful, and, and it was interesting reading that piece and talking about like, okay, we're just going to look at it at store as you know, look at the story and what's the story being being told, and and what's the conversation that emerges, and, and as you say, when you you kind of um, not so then um, weighed down by okay, how do we understand this as a historical event? If so, and also you kind of they're not as bound by okay, how do I take this story written for a particular audience and like and now grafted onto this bigger Christian story now like like that story now becomes you know the um, Adam and Eve and Genesis becomes very much about you know well we understand it as it has to fit with this great Christological sweep kind of thing and and the like and it, and it becomes then open to whole new um, observations like so in that paper you take it into um, implications for animal studies and for how do we think of animals not necessarily as like, you know, just like thing, food, right? Um, mm, yeah. In process, you know, in process, food, in, you know, it's not yeah. quite on my plate yet, but it's all, it's on its way. Um, <laughs> but as something that is, you know, shrewd and engaging and has an equality and has necessarily respect paid to it, you know, that opens yeah. up because it's like, as you say, because of this, you know, thinking from your own cultural lens and not from mm. I have to fit it in a particular framework and it becomes sure. a whole new kind of, there's a whole new trajectory now for that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you're exactly right. Um, and, and I guess when I'm doing this um, and engaging with my, with my um, cultural indigenous um, knowledge, um, you know, it, it sort of also alerts, uh, alerts myself to some of the colonial um, aspects that have sort of become prevalent in my own cultural background as well. Um, because, you know, over time, um, a lot of the colonial processes and some of the legacies of the, our colonial past have sort of become infiltrated in our culture. Um, and then it sort of points out, hey, we weren't always like this, um, you know, and then it's, you know, 
treatment of animals is is one such case. You know, when we go back to our our past, our our ancient stories, it's it's sort of um, ironic that the treatment of animals in our ancient stories is far more. Um, there's a better treatment of health animals as opposed to say nowadays. Mm. Um, you know, when I see the way we treat our animals back home in Samoa, it's you know, there's a lot of stray dogs around. You know, um, the, the way we treat our animals. You know, the some of the processes we we sort of use to to kill animals for food. Um, it's very, it's it, it's 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 very. Um, Cruel and 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 it's, it it goes against to some of those our I would say our pre-Christian beliefs mm. um, in some of those ancient stories, um, and again, it, it, you know it's it's alerting to our colonial past, but it's also alerting to the colonial legacies that are within our own culture itself. So, you know, my my cultural background is not really perfect either. You know, um, mm. it's 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 in it's a way of informing. It's a way of my culture informing, but it's also a way of this reading of the, of the biblical text informing my own culture as well. Mm. So, that, and that's the, the beauty of Talanoa. It's you know, it's a it's a conversation or it's a dialogical process where you're informing, but you're also willing to be informed. Mm. That's really helpful, and 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 this, and yeah, I really appreciate that. And and then I guess you know, for, for someone like myself who's who's kind of listening in essentially and reading in, you know, via the paper. You know, there's definitely then, you know, the, the treatment of animals in the in, in Australia, um, yeah. you know, you know, and potentially the way we prepare for, you know, animals for food and the mass, you know, right. slaughter that, that isn't, you know, required to uphold what we now expect in terms mm. of what we should be able to find in our grocery store and for the price that we find it <laughs> um, is, you know, is also where we can, you know, this now opens up, oh, wow, from this engagement, I can now take this text and think differently about it myself yeah. as well so that's that's really great um so so i mean people should already who are listening to this be getting very excited about the idea that they could sit in the class and hear you talk about the prophets uh and, and think about the, the prophets are for us today and the prophetic literature in the old testament so i guess let's talk just a little about that the the, the course you're going to be teaching uh, at utc and um, I guess if there's like one particular, actually, let's start broad. Who's your favorite prophet? Let's just go there, right, to begin with. You know, you've said you already got a, you got a, you know, you're, you like your wisdom literature, but you yep. know, we're thinking prophets. Uh, hmm. Who, who, who you, who you, who's your favorite? Um, I've always, I've always been, a, I've always find a, a really uh, fond um, attachment towards Jonah, um, mm. being. As a Pacifica person, uh, you know us seafarers, uh, <laughs> if you if you will, uh, we're sort of naturally attached to this uh, this crazy prophet named Jonah. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a lot there in that text. I mean, in, in the small in the in the in that in the four chapters, um, there's just so much in there that is you know, I mean, I've, I've done some research for 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 Jonah in, in one of my chapters and there's just so many articles out there of the different ways of reading Jonah um, and perhaps my favorite uh, reading of Jonah was by uh, Sione Haver um, uh, who reads uh, Jonah from a, very, a rather unique perspective 
um, where he is he's trying to sort of um, he's trying to, to to highlight the colonialism in in the story of Jonah um, and remind us that you know while some readings sort of favor the Ninevites um, he's reminding us that well let's hang on for a second here the Ninevites are the colonizers in terms of the Israelite history uh, so Let's not forget that. Let's not forget who the real bad guys are, you know, if you, if you will. So it's sort of like drawing out that element of the story. And then we're sort of more sympathetic to what Jonah's going through mm. in his, in all, on everything that he's having to deal with. Because after all, he is dealing with this great colonial power. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it's not the usual way of reading Jonah, but I found it yeah. interesting. And, but, you know, I, I just so I'm really interested in Jonah, uh, which and you know, being a, being brought up in the church, um, in our Samoan church, we have what we call White Sunday, which is the second Sunday of October, um, and this is one of the most reenacted stories. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's just so much, uh, you know, there's so much uh, emotion in the story mm. of Jonah. Um, it's it's really sort of an epic as well if you if you yes. had to sort of um, portray it in that way. So Jonah um, would be my favourite in terms of uh, growing up and and, and reading uh, the prophets. But in recent times, I've also had a really um, good appreciation for Ezekiel, mm. um, and I, I just love some of the the discussions surrounding um, ethics. Um, and moral judgment um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, sorry, in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, you find sort of that Ezekiel tends to sort of have a feel of the diaspora, you know, mm -hmm. um, the people in exile. And then Ezekiel's trying to get the people to live a certain way um, while they are in exile. And for me, that resonates, as, you know, as a diasporic identity. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to live a certain way here also, um, whether that means we're sort of following our, our cultural uh, processes to the T or we're, we're sort of, okay, some elements are useful here, others not so much. Um, and, and, you know, you're sort of having that negotiation process between your own uh, standards of ethics from a culture, uh, culturally and then also this, the ethics of the homeland, I mean, of the hostland. Mm. So I think that that's what's... That's what's drawn me to Ezekiel because I can see some of those parallels um, in the text. Um, chapter 18 sort of speaks more to what I'm saying. And, yeah, so those two books are for me. So you've got Ezekiel, which sort of it, it sort of has a historical feel to it. Mm. And, then you've, and then you've got the, the fable in Jonah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of two ends of the spectrum, but... <laughs> yeah, and, I, and that's interesting, like, you know, you're touching on something here that, like, you know, we often, like, you know, link together, like, the prophets, um, mm. both in terms of, you know, where we describe that section of, of the scriptures or in classes such as this, yeah. but, but the range in terms of, um, like, literary type, um, uh, geography, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, context, and, and, and then the personalities of the prophets and, and the particular... Issues. It, it's, it's this very broad uh, spectrum. So, so first of all, like you know, good luck in trying to synthesize that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I guess that you know maybe somewhat speaks to you know. I think the tagline was like you know the the um, 
reading the biblical prophets for today, uh, in some ways, there's there's no day that the prophets or our prophet can't speak into, right? The, 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 the range of what they are addressing and responding to and calling forth yeah. is so has such a wide breadth that, that there's almost kind of, you know, you know, you can always kind of look to a newspaper and be like, oh, I, you know, Isaiah has something that speaks into this and then two pages over, mm, you know, that's very Amos <laughs> right there, you know. So, yeah. so I guess how are you thinking of... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a tricky thing to both think about, you know, these prophets which have, you know, these really pertinent messages for us now, like, you know, for in, in, the, in this, you know, the context you're saying and you know, how to live in the diaspora or, you know, in the context of uh, we had a conversation on the podcast a little bit ago, bit ago with Monica Melikathon and, and a few others, um, you know, we we're talking about the whole, they say, Jeremiah, they say peace, peace, where there is no peace, um, mm-hmm. you know, as a parable for so much of the, you know, how things have been talked about with COVID, right? Like, look, there's no mm. real threat. Go on with your business, you know? Like, yeah. so there's that side of, we can call them the prophets, you know, sometimes we feel like there's just one-to-one, but then also try to respect these texts as their own thing, yeah. <laughs> their own yeah. co- concerns and context and and, and, right. and wanting to approach it there. How, how do you feel you, we best hold those two together? That's a really good question because, um, you know, I think we're used to the idea of grouping the prophets together. You know, mm. um, in the Hebrew canon, it's the former and the latter prophets. In the Christian canon, it's the major and the minor prophets. Mm. So we're sort of grouping them together. Um, but I guess as you, you're alluding to, there is sort of a a danger to that because we're ignoring some of the, the unique aspects um, that that each different that each prophet sort of mm. has, um, and and I think when you have these conversations between the different prophets, um, as opposed to sort of just um, casting, just you know, uh, you know, instead of just looking at it as as one sort of genre. Um, the more you read, the more you realize, okay, there's a lot of differences between mm. uh, among these uh, these different texts. And I, I think that um, maybe, we, we, you know, it, and, and this is why, why I'm laughing at you saying that <laughs> good luck because, yeah, because <laughs> I'm teaching this as an intensive, so it's a whole week um, of, of, of the prophets. Uh we're trying. I'm trying. I'll try my best to try and 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 say. Well, yes, we've got these uh, cl- uh, classifications of the different prophets, um, but I'm going to try and as much as I can to sort of isolate each of the prophets mm. um, and then highlight the differences between them um, in conversation with some of the similarities between them. Um, and I feel. I feel like. Uh, if I do that, it'll uh, allow more um, resonance with what's going on in our own times, um, because you know a lot of the issues in COVID's just blown everything out of you know out of the water um, and magnified a lot of the issues that we see today. Uh, I feel that you know this is the perfect time to have a conversation with the prophets, um, especially trying to isolate some of those differences mm. to help us realize, okay, there is a lot that's that's being said by the prophets that actually resonates with what's going on today. Um, so, you know, 
one particular thing that I sort of see that's different between the two prophets, the different prophets is the, the, the concept of the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a misconception um, um, uh, that some people think that day of the Lord means the same thing for all the prophets. But as you'll sort of read um, between the, among the prophets, there's a different understanding. Some see it as a positive moment where the Lord will come and save them. Others see it as a day of judgment where there's just going to be total chaos and destruction. Um, and then you're sort of looking at that and thinking, okay, maybe maybe it's a matter of perspective. Um, and that's what's going on with COVID, isn't it? Um, it's, it's sort of highlighted the different perspectives towards this same thing. Mm. Some have seen the catastrophe of COVID and it's evident. But then some have thought, okay, it's sort of being a blessing in disguise. Um, it's allowed more to us to, to focus more on our family relationships. It's allowed us to focus on um, on spending quality time with our loved ones and, and things like that. Well, the irony of that is some can't spend quality yeah. time with their loved ones. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, there's just yeah. there's just so much um, there's just so much irony and 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 perspective that that um, that I, that you see in the prophets, and it's just. I think there's just a wealth of of understanding there that we could gauge from it by looking at these texts differently. Um, yeah. mm. I think that's 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 really helpful. And I think the one thing it leads me to think about is the way prophetic is often mm. used, right? Like that, like the or the church has to embody a prophetic role, or there's the prophetic and the pastoral, or um, you know, you know, to use the Brueggemann, like you know, prophetic imagination. I think <laughs> so. It's used as this kind of a particular mode of religious um, being in the world, right? A way of yeah. being in the world from a religious standpoint. That that you know, it can be. We can we talk about it from multiple religious contexts. This, this is a prophetic figure, um, and I guess I'm thinking like, how much does the actual existence of the prophets um, mm. problematize a category so, such as prophetic? Um, like, because I can understand and appreciate where it comes from, and the, you know, there's a ways to define it. But at the same time, is it kind of appealing by, you know, in order to kind of ground itself, appealing to this group as an en masse rather than acknowledging what they would imagine being prophetic would look quite different from from one another. Yeah, um, that's we just just that whole idea of prophecy. Um, can be problematic itself mm. because when you, I mean, immediately when you look at the these prophets, um, it's it's such a male dominant role, isn't it? Um, mm. So the idea of prophecy is already um, a biased, um, mm. you know, a, 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 you know, um, institution because it's dominant, predominantly male. Um, and therefore, we're reading the thoughts of of, of, of males. Um, mm. And you know, in this current age, we, 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 we can't we can't have conversations, realistic conversations, from a predominantly male perspective. Uh, we need to to engage in some sort of um, gender. Uh, um, you know. We need to be more receptive to to different genders and, and the, the the notions of of prophecy mm. uh, um, taking into account the different genders 
Mm. Um, so there's there's already a problem with mm. the, with the concept of prophecy um, just by 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 the the, the, the the you know the element of gender. Uh, so that's that's probably the, the first mm. thing I'll need to do uh, is to sort of <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'll need I, I mean you know that's the first thing I'll need to do is to account for that. I need to acknowledge mm. that there is a gender bias um, in the institution of prophecy, but then sort of reworking. Um, prophecy to sort of go move away from um, just an androcentric um, type understanding, but to envisioning what the Lord um, is sort of having in mind for you know the Lord's people. Um, so yeah, mm. that that would be sort of my my thing. Yeah, to that's try really and account for. Yeah, I think it's a really helpful observation and it just makes me think of like you know often the figures that we call like a prophetic figure in our time are often men right yeah, like here we right. Go, can 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 engage that office that's, that's really a helpful observation um yeah. yeah thanks for that um so i guess like um where am i going with this uh, and you know thinking about the 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 prophets too and i guess looking at that um you know, the differences in genre that we've talked about. Um, and I guess, again, thinking about your, your work on, on um, Genesis 3, and then even, you know, you, you've done, you wrote a great article on, on reading the Song of Songs um, from a small perspective and, and, the, and the difficulty that comes with that because of, of, of particular taboos. But, but again, trying to think about a different kind of hermeneutical lens or a different way of mm. thinking about its, its genre, I guess, um, you know, people often say, you know, when you come to read the scriptures, if you've never done that before, one of the first things you really need to realize is it's not all one genre. Yeah, uh, you know, sure. and and, uh, and, and so I guess thinking about how, you know, because I'm sure there's people watching this who are thinking about how they have conversations with their folks in their churches or the like about these books and the different genres they take and the different ways of reading these books as they enter into different modes. And I guess, yeah, thoughts on how, either how you take an approach of introducing that to folks who maybe this is a somewhat new concept or at least something that they haven't, you know, fully developed um, and explored and, uh, and ways that maybe others might think about this kind of um, beginning or, 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 or progressing through that kind of conversation with folks in their lives. Um, so, the, you know, I'm I'm sort of really I'm a big fan of hermeneutics, um, and, and you know going back to what I was saying earlier, it's about the message. Then for me, that's that's first and foremost. And I think mm. you know reading scripture, it, um, it's always about the message. Mm. Uh, so, but the assumption, the common misconception is that there's only one message. Uh, and I think with hermeneutics, it sort of allows us to to, to to engage with the text in ways where there's multiple messages. Um, and I think, you know, as Christians, we, we should understand that Scripture ha- always has multiple um, messages. There's never just one message. Um, and I think, you know, that's the beauty of hermeneutics is that it's grounded on perspective on a particular viewpoint and we all have our own unique viewpoints. We all have different understand, uh, perspectives of life, of, you know, everything that we do. So you're bound to have all these million different uh, hermeneutical vantage points reading into the text 
therefore equating to multiple um, uh, messages. And, you know, one particular viewpoint, you know, doesn't necessarily equate to one particular message. It might lead to uh, tens and twenty, uh, tens and hundreds of other messages um, after that, you know, the implications that you draw from those different readings. So uh, that's my, that was sort of my issue when I was reading the Book of Song of Songs, is that, you know, we come to those type of texts and we're automatically saying, we're automatically placing a taboo on the text by saying, okay, this text is immediately, straight away, off the bat, it's about the, the love of God. That's it. That's how you should read it. <laughs> totally um, neglecting all the different, you know, sexual imageries and metaphors that are in there, uh, which, you know, if you're, if you're reading this text, and if you're reading this with a, you know, with some sort of logic, you're going to be questioning. You know, you're going to be mm. like, "Wait a minute, you know, what, mm. what does this mean? What I mean, what, 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 what's going on here? I mean, what two deers? You know, your breasts, <laughs> uh, two fawns. What's what's going on there? That's crazy. You know, um, how can the how can the scripture be talking about this? This is, you know, this is insane. <laughs> um, so, for me, you know, growing up in our own my own Christian um, tradition. You know, we're very conservative uh, with the way we approach the text. Mm. And it doesn't allow for us to engage those different images mm. uh, from a sort of, you know, human point of view where we're engaging with those images and we're sort of treating them, um, you know, I mean, these are parts of the anatomy that we're referring mm. to. Then, mm. then it's got no, I mean, you know, in terms of what's in the text, there's no reference referring to a spirit. There's no referring to a spiritualized uh, concept of things it's 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 anatomy it's the body it's you know um, and we and these images that are being used to explain the human body that's what's in conversation and we need to get our conversation talking about the body talking about sexuality that type of thing um, but when but in the, the problem in our conservative traditions is that Sometimes we'd be like, okay, the kids shouldn't be reading this, you know. Um, or if you're in a in a in a sort of a co-ed uh, type setting or multi gender gender setting, you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, we can't have this conversation, um, especially in a traditional Samoan uh, society where uh, where we you know we have our res- we we have to respect our sister. Uh, the term that I use in the article, fearinga, um, which refers to our sister. I mean, it's a it's a sort of bond that we need to protect um, as males. So if we we can't jeopardize that relationship by, by talking about sexual matters in front of them or with them. So we don't talk about it at all. Um, so, the, you know, those type of problems, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, and I think, I, and, I, and I argue this in the point, I mean, if we are truly to acknowledge, uh, you know, the scripture as being God's word, then we shouldn't put a taboo on God's word because, um, this is, you know, God's word is meant to be read. It's meant to be engaged. Um, and, and, you know, who are we as humans to put a taboo on, mm. on God's word, you know, um, if we're thinking from a, from a traditional scriptural Christian um, point of view. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that was really interesting in the piece in that, I forget the, the term you used, uh, sorry, but like, you know, talking about like respecting the text, mm. right? Respecting yeah. the Bible by removing that, crossing that taboo, um, yeah. by, by addressing that. And it, it was just so interesting to me because usually 
uh, or generally the way I think, you know, people would say to me like, hey, you need to respect the Bible um, or respect the words of God and that scripture. Yeah. Like they're telling you me to, you know, shut up and <laughs> just like, you know, uh, obey and take it as it is. Yeah. But, you know, you're using it in this very different way of actually knowing we're saying about respect it by yeah. letting it speak to us openly um, and then have the conversation about it and allow that yeah. to challenge um, maybe some of the more, you know, conservative or, or unhealthy sexual um, ethics and mores yeah. that, that, that again, which you say, you know, a, a more post-colonial, yeah. post-colonized, sorry, um, yes. uh, attitude. So I thought that was a really interesting way to think about respecting yeah. X, contra to how it's often employed. I mean, I use the word, uh, so the Samoan term that I use is fa'alo alo. Um, and, the, you know, the, this is a, the reason why I engage with and use a lot of um, the Samoan concepts uh, because, you know, the, diff- the, the problem with translation is that it just doesn't grasp the term fully. Mm. Um, and so I use the word fa'alo alo in line with respect to, to highlight that, uh, because in the word fa'alo alo, the, uh, the root word of fa'alo, to fa'alo alo is this word alo, and alo means face. Um, and and the, the, the whole notion behind fa'alo alo is that you're face-to-face. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no talking behind, you know, the back. You know, there's no stabbing the back and all that sort of stuff. It's everything is open because there's a, there's a, there's a sacred space between you and the other. Um, and I say other with a capital O. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In this sort of framework of Falualo, this is where I, 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 I interpret respect um, because respect can be sort of a colonial word because mm-hmm. it's sort of like do as you're told and, you know, don't, you know, uh, you just do as I say, not um, as I do, the type of understanding. But, you know, reframing respect through Falualo means that you're face to face with the other. Mm. Um, and there's this sacred space between you and the other that needs to be paid respect. So it's the same idea when you're respecting the text, you should be looking at the text as that other mm. um, in conversation that where you're in, in informing, but also to be informed. Um, and, you know, that whole notion of respect is sort of drawn out by, you know, my understanding that, uh, I mean, it's sort of an ironic uh, tap towards um, some of those uh, conservative and, and, and our traditional ways of reading where, you know, they say to, okay, you must respect what the text says, but then I'm hearing is, well, we're, we should respect it, but not the way you're saying to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I agree was, with the word, just a totally different approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I agree <laughs> with this idea, but let's yeah. just go this other way. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Right. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. Um, so I guess you know, you know, you're, you're engaging in this, you know, this work. You've written these papers and you're doing the dissertation, and and you know, we've seen from this interview some of the really creative, constructive um, results from it, right? From from being able to engage the indigenous culture, from being able to you know wrestle with the questions of the diaspora, and be able to you know have the the the, the time to you know, bring these conversations into. Um, into the church, into the academy, et cetera. I guess as you're thinking of maybe more broadly, you know, like the, the work you're seeing um, from Pacifica theologians and biblical scholars and, and the like, um, where are you seeing, you know, that, 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 that project, for want of a better word at the moment, and what are your hopes of, of where it's at? Because, you know, I've talked to 
in the past, we had a conversation with Seth Carroll, who kind of talked about like, you know, the early forging of a lot of um, Pacifica theology, but then like, you know, and then moving into a new season. And I guess I'm just curious, your thoughts as someone who's, who's, you know, an emerging scholar, um, you know, to, you know, to, for want of a better term, uh, <laughs> with all respect put on that term, uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, come, you know, doing this work and, and producing this work and, and what you're thinking and hoping um, might, might be the next little while. Um, that's, that's a fantastic question because uh, that's another key concern of mine. And it, I guess it's just about... Uh, putting our voices out there because if you were to walk through um, the Pacific Theological College library in, in Suva and Fiji um, and also the multiple theological colleges around the Pacific, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in Samoa, whether it's in Tonga, um, Tahiti and, and all the other countries, you know, there's, there's multiple uh, works that have been um, written you know, whether it's theses, whether it's journal articles, but they're not out there. Mm. Um, you know, we have some really prominent um, publishers uh, in, in, in our Pacific. You know, we have people like Sione Javier, we have Seth Carroll, uh, Nasili Wakauta in Auckland, um, and, and, and other theologians, Pacific theologians. But there's, there's so much work out there, but there's only really a handful of us that are sort of getting our work out there mm. um, and publishing and, and, you know, and sort of making ourselves being recognized. Um, in recent times, we've had, uh, you know, a, a Samoan scholar from American Samoa, Ben Layer. Um, he's also a, a, a professor uh, in Hebrew Bible. He's, he's starting to publish a lot too as well. So... In terms of the vision, um, yes, it's great that we're 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 publishing, but it'd be nice for a lot more of our works to be recognised because there's just so much good stuff in our libraries and it's just sitting there. Um, but I guess the work that we're that you know the likes of Sione Javier and Seth Carroll and and all those. Um, and Upoluva'ai in Fiji as well, what they're doing, laying that, that sort of groundwork for us scholars to follow, us young, young scholars or emerging scholars to, to follow, um, you know, that's, that's what we want. I mean, that's, that's the sort of the vision that I want, um, that, is, that this sort of continues um, and that it's not just us that are in, I mean, I would, I would sort of consider myself in a privileged position um, because I'm here in Melbourne um, I'm attending some of these seminars um, that you know that I'm able to share my work and and then later on publish. But there are other sort of really brilliant scholars in the Pacific that don't have this same privilege that I um, exposed to. So you know, um, if I can sort of in my own uh, journey try and 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 account for that. Um, whether it's establishing um, some sort of networks with um, the, the Pacific, uh, you know, colleges, or whether it's, um, you know, hosting um, seminars and, and conferences in the Pacific to sort of get this going. I mean, there's already the, the Oceania Biblical Studies Association conference that we have in the Pacific, but, you know, we, we sort of need more of those things to happen in order to get those voices out and to publish. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're in this era that we're, 
you know, if you want to get recognized, if you want to be heard, you have to publish. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, and so uh, my vision is to sort of get more and more of, of the voices in the Pacifica to sort of get, mm. get out there through publications. Yeah, great. Thank you for that, for sharing that. So I guess we'll start landing the plane um, with one more kind of plug for the course. So, so the title, I think it's just, if, if you're just talking to United Theological College, it's just the prophetic literature, THL 308. There you go. Uh, so people can, it's the 18th to the 22nd of January. Uh, so coming up quick, but you can still enroll. So um, reach out to uh, United Theological College and people can audit too. So if you're a minister yes. looking for some continuing ed uh, or yep. if you're just whoever you are listening to this, uh, <laughs> you can audit this. And um, like I was talking when I um, interviewed Di Rayson a little bit ago about one of her her classes, I was saying, you know, my parents have audited a couple of UTC classes. They love it. Um, so, you know, you should too. It's, it's, a, it's a really, you know, and hey, January, what else are you going to, it's going to be air conditioned. Oh. At least you can go somewhere at school, <laughs> spend your day <laughs> on the call. Um, so, but I guess give us one more pitch. Why should people care about the prophets today? Why should they do this course? What are you hoping they'll, you know, they someone might take from it, you know, uh, as they go back and, you know, either continuing their studies or back into their churches or just back into their lives? What, what might this be? Um. Probably to have a conversation with a big Samoan bloke, um, <laughs> probably be. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in all seriousness, uh, I, I, want, I want it to sort of, I mean, I want this course to be a fun experience. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of material to go through and it can seem overwhelming, but um, I, I'm more sort of interested in having the conversations um, and, and that's probably, as a Pacifica person, mm. um, our focus is always on the oral, you know, the, the, the conversation, the talanoa. Um, so for me, I mean, I mean, if you're out there and you're thinking, ooh, that seems like a lot of work to go through to audit, you know, even to audit, um, you know, my, 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 my sort of um, my recommendation, you know, don't be overwhelmed. Um, it's, we're not going to try and just cram everything into your brain. Um, you know, that's not the focus. The focus is, uh, to have conversation, meaningful conversations around the prophets, um, so that we can have a feel of who they are, what they're trying to say, and then what we can say in conversation with the prophets. So, um, yeah, if you're, if you're sort of sitting on the fence, uh, wondering whether I should do this or not, please you know, join us. It, it'll be great. Even if you want to audit, you know, that having the multi, these multiple voices in conversation will just sort of highlight the, the beauty of the prophets even more. So, um, yeah, and having coffee as well during between cl um, those classes uh, would probably be another good thing. So, yeah. you know, um, I just want to have – I want people to come and enjoy themselves mm. and not to be sort of – if you have this feel, oh, we're going to be overwhelmed by, you know, all these different um, uh, scholars and their viewpoints and that sort of thing. Mm. You know, come with an open mind. Come with a with a with a willingness to to have a conversation, and come with a with you know that it's going to be with the knowledge that this is going to be a, a fun, um, you know, fun week. Mm. Fun so yeah. Oh, that's great. And I think, you know, 100%. What a, and I think if anyone's listened to this or watched this conversation, you know, I think 
you can see already how your understanding of the profits will be immeasurably widened and deepened by, by talking with you, Brian, about it. So that, that so. should be a great – and if it's going to be fun as well, I mean, come on. <laughs> how much better can you do? Um, is there anything else you want to draw people's attention to, Brian? Uh, you know, anything you want to plug or, you, you know, your social media or anything like that that people can – you want people to be aware of who aren't necessarily going to do the course? Uh, any ways people can connect with you or connect with your work? Um, yeah, well, you know, my, my, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter handle, which is probably my more active, uh, social media platform is at, uh, B, uh, Kolia, which is spelled K-O-L-I-A. So, um, you know, if you want to have a chat or just sort of have a, have a feel as to, you know, what I like to retweet and tweet, um, <laughs> about, then, um, yeah, uh, feel free to follow me on, on Twitter. Um, I'm also um, on Instagram and, and Facebook as well. So if you just search for my name, uh, Brian Corlea. Um, you're bound to find this big Samoan kahuna on there um, who loves rugby and, and, and um, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, if anyone's watching, there's been a wallaby shirt like in the screen, <laughs> a little wallaby popping up from time That's to time. Right. Yeah, well, it's been a sad year for us this year, so, um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, there's a whole, like, um, you know, hermeneutic interpretive thing there of, of the diaspora of, of, of us talking, you, and, you know, you're wearing the wallaby shirt, you know. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I always get, you know, when I'm having conversations with people, they're always saying, oh, you go for the wallabies, I thought you'd be going for the All Blacks or, you know, things like that, right? You know, there's a lot of us in, in Australia, you know, so, yeah, watch out for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. It. <laughs> well, thanks so much for this conversation. And, uh, and yeah, if anyone's looking, the uh, details about the course are in the show notes. Uh, and, yeah, and hopefully we'll get you back uh, post-dissertation to talk. You know, we can have a whole Ecclesiastes-centred uh, <laughs> conversation, which would be great fun. No too. worries. Awesome. <laughs> thanks for having me, Liam. No worries. <laughs>